Amen. You can take a seat. Good morning, church. I'm glad to be with you all. Merry Christmas. We get to say that now. I don't know where you guys are at. I said this during announcements at 6 p.m. last week. Some people are like, I can't listen to Christmas music until December 1st. That's when Christmas starts. Or for some people, it's like, well, it's already September 15th, which means it's basically Christmas time. And so I'm already listening to Christmas music. Wherever you're at, it's Christmas time. So Merry Christmas. Um, I'm happy to be with you all. I'm happy to be with my church family. Um, I just want to say, first of all, a personal thank you just for your prayers um, over these past couple weeks. I know Hannah and I have felt them, and the rest of the pastors and their wives have felt them. Um, and you guys are just so kind. Even just today in the lobby, just like how many people were just excited to hear me up here. I'm just blown away that God would be so kind to me. So thank you for being here and for supporting us in our church. We, we love you. Um, but also, um, before I get into the rest of the message, a quick reminder, Kevin asked me to tell you all, I was completely thinking with him that there was a free grocery Sunday. So when he asked, is there a free grocery Sunday? I'm in the front and I'm like, yeah, 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 there is. Turns out there's not, so I'm sorry. Um, if you go to the back and you expect to find groceries, you will not find some, so I am sorry. Um, Hopefully Trader Joe's is still open and you could just go there or something. But there's no free groceries for you. I'm sorry. Um, and then also, just as a reminder, I know we mentioned the announcement of having to cease for the time being the 6 p.m. service. There is one tonight, though. So if you have friends or family or if you attend the 6 p.m. service, don't have them bail. They can still come. Um, so, yeah, 6 p.m. tonight and then after that postponed for the foreseeable future. But... Guys, I'm excited I get to share the word with you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Liam. I'm the youth director here on staff, and I'm blessed that I get to be here as a part of this church family. Um, and I'm excited that I get to open the Christmas series for us. So today is the beginning of a Christmas series that we're calling His Name Shall Be Called. Uh, we're going to be diving in and exploring the different names of Jesus found in Isaiah chapter 9, because it's our desire as a church that we're able to focus our attention this Christmas on the nature and the character of Jesus. Because Jesus, really, he's the ultimate gift of God. Because he reflects God's love and his mercy and his humility and goodness towards broken, sinful people like you and I. Um, so today, I get to discuss with you all what it means that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, which I'm really excited about. So if you could stand with me as we read God's word, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to be starting in verse 1. So Isaiah 9, verse 1. And I'll let you guys get there so that I can drink some water. Okay. Verse 1 of Isaiah 9. But there will be no more gloom for her who, her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. On the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor as at the battle of Midian. 
For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You may be seated. So before jumping into what it means that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, I wanted to lay the groundwork of where we're reading in the Bible and some of the context. So Isaiah was a prophet in Israel and Judah from around 740 B.C., to about 680 BC. At this point, the nation of Israel is actually split into two nations. There's a northern nation that's simply known as Israel, and then there's a southern nation known as Judah. And Isaiah, he spoke of God's judgment that was going to come against both Israel and Judah through the kingdoms of Babylon and Assyria. But at the same time, in the midst of this, he's also speaking about a promised one, the Messiah, who would come and he would bring joy to these people. So Isaiah prophesied that God was going to allow the Assyrians to attack both Israel and Judah. Israel is going to be completely wiped out by the Assyrians, and this happened historically. And Judah would be attacked, but it wouldn't be completely wiped out. And so this chapter picks up after Isaiah prophesied about the destruction that was was going to be caused by the Assyrians. And what he's saying is that even though that land was in anguish, eventually it will no longer be in gloom. Even though God allowed the Assyrians to attack, he's going to bring glory to the regions that they ravaged. And although the people were previously, they were under the judgment of the Lord, and that was the just judgment of the Lord for their sin. Even though the Lord allowed this to happen, and he allowed the Assyrians to attack, one day, those people are going to be glad in the presence of the Lord. Which is super cool, because you have the Lord allowing them to be judged, which is like, I don't want to hang out with that God, but those people wouldn't at least, right? But now, they're in the presence of the same Lord, and they're glad to be with him. They're rejoicing in his presence, and a light is going to shine on them. And the Lord is going to increase the nation, and he's going to end the people's oppression, and he's going to end war. And the question is, like, well, those are some pretty lofty claims. How is this all going to happen? And it's going to happen through the reign of a new king, through the Messiah, and his name is Jesus. And so that's where we pick up in verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so as the government rests upon King Jesus' shoulders, he's going to continue to grow his rule and his authority until he is king of all things. And he's going to bring peace everywhere, everywhere his reign touches. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, he's going to rule rightly forever and ever. And each of these four names that are mentioned here, they describe aspects of King Jesus' reign. If you had to ask me what this passage is about, it's about what it looks like for Jesus to be king. 
This is what King Jesus does. This is what it looks like for his kingdom to exist. But before I go on further, I want to highlight a distinction here because there's two sides of this prophecy. Because if you live on planet Earth, you're probably like, well, it doesn't feel like there's peace everywhere. (laughs) So what happened? Like, what's the thing? So there's a part that's already been fulfilled, and then there's a part that's going to be fulfilled. And this is pretty common for prophecy, is that it will mix the prophecies that have already been fulfilled by Jesus in his earthly life and the things that will happen later. So right now, as we exist here, previously, and 2,000 years ago, Jesus came as a human being. And he fulfilled these prophecies. But when he came, he didn't come to wage a physical war, much to the disappointment of a lot of people. He didn't come to stop the Jews from being oppressed by the Romans. He didn't come to fix that problem. Instead, he came, and he did wage a war, but he waged a spiritual war. He waged a war against sin and death. That was the most important thing, and that had to be dealt with first. And so Jesus, when he came... He freed us spiritually through his death and through his resurrection. Because we were once under the bondage of sin and death, but Jesus' sacrifice has freed us now to have a personal relationship with God through faith. And so in a spiritual sense, Jesus has broken the yoke of our burden and the staff on our shoulders. Because now, we as Christians, you know we don't have to continue in sin anymore, right? We do, because we're sinners, but we only, sin only has as much power as we allow it to have over us because Jesus has freed us from sin. That's what the Bible says. And so we're no longer slaves to sin anymore. We can have a personal relationship with him and we can actually act in righteousness because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And that's a beautiful truth that we should celebrate. But that's not all. I sound like an infomercial. Because there's more coming, right? Because there's also a future hope. There's a future hope that hasn't come yet when Jesus will come to physically reign as king of kings here on earth. And it's then that every knee will bow before him on heaven and on earth. All physical war will cease and he'll bring peace to all of creation. And that's what we eagerly wait for. If you hear people talking about, man, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. That's what we're talking about. It's when Jesus comes back and sets not just our spiritual life right, but all things right. So, for us today, though, who have surrendered to Jesus and have given our lives to him, we actually follow King Jesus. He actually is our king. Even though he hasn't come and conquered all of creation and brought it all to peace, um, he is our king because he's the one we've surrendered our lives to. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you're saying, Lord, you can do whatever you want with my life. I give you all of it. You can do whatever you will with me. My life is yours to command. And that's what makes him king over your life. Because you've surrendered to him. And so these four names, although they do describe future King Jesus, they describe spiritual King Jesus for us today. And I'm just going to say, this isn't in my notes, but over the past few weeks, I can tell that Jesus reigns as king over this church. And I can tell that because you guys are kind and patient and loving and gracious, and those are what subjects of King Jesus do. They act like that. And so thank you. Thank you from me and from the rest of the leadership for being a church that has surrendered to King Jesus, because I can see it and we can feel it. Um, But these things, they do describe the present-day reality of King Jesus for us. So today, December 3rd, 2023, what does it mean for Jesus to be 
our wonderful counselor. This begs the question first of what is a counselor? In simple terms, a counselor is someone who gives advice and guidance to somebody else. So we seek wise counsel, uh, maybe from your parents or from other people in your life, um, to glean from other people's life experiences, from their knowledge and from their wisdom. An example I have of a counselor in my life is Pastor Kevin. He's a man I go to with my struggles in life. I confess sin to him. I walk through life with him. Um, and that's an important role that he plays in my life. And I would encourage all of you, Pastor Kevin encouraged this a couple weeks ago, um, that each of us should find a godly person in your life to counsel you. Like whatever age range you are, I'm a young man, so I need a lot of counseling and a lot of advice. But whatever age demographic you're in, we need other godly people to pour into our lives. And I think that's part of the humble admission we have that we don't know everything, that we need other people's wisdom. Um, but even as we have counselors we meet with here on earth, God is telling us through this passage that Jesus is actually the best counselor. He's the most wonderful counselor there is above all other earthly counselors. There's no one better to go to for advice, for wisdom, for direction than King Jesus. That might seem like a given. You're like, well, I'm a Christian, so of course, like that's right, he's God. But I want to walk through this with you today. Because what actually makes Jesus the best counselor? Why should I go to him for advice and counsel and above everybody else? Well, when we're going to someone for advice or counsel, we should consider who that person is. If you were going to pick a counselor, I would highly encourage it to be someone who has more life experience than you and wisdom because you're going to them for something you lack, which is wisdom and perspective. That's why you go to them. That's why I urge you guys to find someone who's more mature than you to be your counselor. Because I love my friends dearly, but if I only went to my peers for counsel, and I, I love them, they'd probably give good advice sometimes or even most of the time, but I'd probably make some foolish mistakes in my life if all the counsel I got was from people in their 20s. That just seems like a not great recipe. Um, I need the godly counsel of people who are older than me. So with all that in mind, who is Jesus? Why should I listen to him? I'm glad you asked. So, Jesus is not just a man. He's God in human form. He's not just like God. He's actually literally God in human form. He's 100% man and 100% God at the same time. John 1 puts it like this in verse 1 and then later in verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's speaking of Jesus. It says this in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as, the, as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This might sound just like a theological point, that you just kind of, oh yeah, Jesus is God, whatever, and then I put it away. But this is really important to us, because unlike every single prophet before Jesus, Every single word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is the exact words of God. It's the exact words of God. The only time that happens to us as people is when we're literally reading Scripture. That's the only time, right? But for Jesus, every single conversation he had was the exact character and nature of the Father. He was literally God, made visible. And so Jesus' character and nature is literally God, so he always speaks 
the words of God. Jesus is not a normal human counselor who just does his best to give solid advice. Like, I hope this works out for you. (laughs) Jesus speaks the perfect words of God. They're flawless. And the beautiful thing about that is that Jesus' knowledge and wisdom, it's unlimited. He's the one who invented wisdom. If you read Proverbs 8, it describes how God created wisdom before he created anything else. And so he's the one that knows all things. There is no other counselor, despite how many degrees they could get, that could inform the Lord of anything that he doesn't already know at all. He understands all of life perfectly well. He even understands your own heart better than you do. Have you ever had read, been reading scripture and all of a sudden the Lord speaks something to you and you realize that he's understood something about you that you didn't even know? Because all of a sudden you're called out for your sin and you're like, ooh, I didn't know that about myself. But that's because the Lord knows your heart and he loves you too much to not tell you. Isaiah 40, 13 through 14 says this, who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? And while other counselors, they're educated through life experience or schooling, Jesus has the perfect knowledge and wisdom of God inherently because it's just part of his nature. He's the counselor of counselors as well as being the king of kings. And what I love about the Lord is that He's not the kind of God that just sits back with his arms folded and just does nothing. Contrary to what some may say in the world, God didn't just create the universe, spin it up, and then just like watch it. That's not who the Lord is. He's actively involved. He's actively involved in each and every person's life. And he acts with purpose and intention. Job 42.2 says this, I know that you can do all things, this is Job speaking of the Lord, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. The Bible says that God sits in the heavens and laughs and does whatever he pleases. He's in control of all things. So that means that not only does God know everything, he controls everything. And so if you're keeping track, that makes him the sovereign, all-knowledgeable, fully-invested counselor. If anyone was qualified to guide us, to guide you and to guide me through our lives, it's him. But what does he do with all this power? He's the God of all things, but what does he use that for? This is the best part. God uses all of his wisdom and all of his sovereignty and all of his knowledge, and he uses it for our good. He doesn't use it selfishly. He uses it for our good. Yes, for his glory, And we worship and praise the Lord, but also for our benefit. Because the Lord has sovereignly steered the universe, and he's counseled us in a way that he can take the best care of us, his kids. That's why Romans 8.28 says this, and you guys probably know this verse well. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So Jesus uses all of his authority as the king of kings to kindly and gently lead us. And this is a good personal reminder for me because I and those who know me well know this about me, but I have an unhealthy view often of Jesus' commands for my life. 
if you walk, if you see me and I look stressed, it's because I often view Jesus' commands as merely a duty. It's something I have to do. God's called me to be a leader here. He's called me to minister, and I have to do it. And that's true. I don't want to take away from the fact that I do have to obey the Lord. We all have to obey the Lord. God's word is not a suggestion. It's a command. And so I don't want to take away from that. But this faulty, narrow-minded view as it's just duty, it takes away from the joy of my Christian life. And I think because of this faulty view, I've allowed my responsibility as a Christian and as a leader in the church to crush me at times. To be clear, like, I don't want to take away again that I need to obey the Lord. But when Jesus counsels me, when he guides me, when he's invested in my life, it is not a punishment. It's actually the gift. That's the gift I get of being God's kid, is that he guides me and leads me. And this is true for all of us as believers. When the Lord convicts us of sin, when he convicts me of sin, when he convicts us and guides us and sovereignly orchestrates our circumstances, when he directs us where to go, that's a gift. It's a privilege. Because of the work of Jesus, God's not far off from me. And he's not far off from you. Even though we're broken and sinful, he's near and he's present. And he's working in our lives. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right It's not the burden, it's the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And through Jesus' sacrifice, we become children of God. That's who we are. And that's not like a punishment title. It's funny how sin distorts things and flips it on its head. And suddenly now I'm viewing my privileged status as a child of God as a punishment. And it's not meant to be that way. The Lord is a good father to me and to you. And he loves us too much to not be involved in his kids' lives. That's why he lovingly and caringly counsels us and leads us. And during difficult seasons, it's really easy to feel that God isn't near to us. That he's far away, that he doesn't care about me. But in reality, Jesus is so close to us. And he's given us so many ways to, count, to hear his counsel and direction in our lives. And so I want to walk through some of those with you today. So first, the Lord has placed the Holy Spirit within us. We talk about God not being far off. That's as close as he can get. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't just bail on us and leave us as orphans. He actually specifically said that he would never leave us as orphans. He said that it was better that he ascended into heaven. Just like, where is he going? Why would it be good that he's gone? The reason that it's good that he's gone is because that allowed him to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this about the role of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. And the beautiful thing is that this is not a one-way conversation. It's not like the Holy Spirit communicates to us and I cry out and God doesn't hear anything back. We can pray. That's what prayer is. It's a conversation. The Holy Spirit speaks to me and I speak back to the Lord through the Holy Spirit. So God's able to directly commune to my heart. In addition to this, God has given us scripture, his holy word. 
The Bible has been carefully crafted by the Lord to give us encouragement in hard times, direction when we're lost, conviction when we're in sin, instruction in righteousness, and hope for the future. That's why the Bible was written. And the awesome thing is that the Bible is not a static book. Because the book of Hebrews says that the Bible is living and it's active. And what that means essentially is that God can use Scripture to speak directly to your life circumstances. The Bible wasn't just written to the church generally. That would have enough have been a good enough gift on its own. But it's better than that. The Bible was written to you. It was written to Kevin. It was written to me. It was written to Ron, right? It was written to all of us individually. And so when we read Scripture... The Lord speaks to our hearts. That's why when you read the Bible, you can read the same passage twice at different periods in your life, and you get completely different truths out of it. It's not that the truth of Scripture changed. The Bible means what it means. It's that the Holy Spirit is pointing you to that thing and saying, this is what I need you to hear right now. And if all that wasn't enough, we have each other. The body of Christ as another gift from God. And it, too, has been carefully designed by our Father that we can receive encouragement, rebuke when we need it, and love from each other in our walk with the Lord. And so Jesus has provided so many ways for us to hear his wonderful counsel. And when he does speak to us, it's always good. It's not sometimes good, it's always good. Because Jesus' counsel is not tainted with human sin. Perfect And when Jesus speaks to us, it's always true. One of the great things about the Lord that often makes Scripture hard to hear sometimes is that he doesn't lie to us to make us feel better. If you've ever read the Bible and it hurts, this is why. Because every word of God is trustworthy and reliable. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. But what's awesome about Jesus is that even though he speaks the truth to us, he doesn't beat us over the head with it. He speaks to us graciously. That's why when we read John 1.14 earlier, it said that Jesus came with grace and truth. He doesn't speak the truth to try and shame us for our sin or make us feel bad just to leave us there, but to draw us to repentance and to heal us. And part of the grace that Jesus extends to us in his counsel is that he's sympathetic. The Bible says this in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When Jesus counsels us, He counsels us with both the wisdom of God, which is awesome, but also with understanding of what it's like to be a person. Jesus knows what it's like to be a person. Jesus suffered through everything that we ever could in this life and more. He went through every temptation a person could. He went through loss, betrayal, temptation of vices, misunderstandings, sickness, abandonment, and suffering. And through all of that, Jesus remains sinless and perfect. But praise God, Jesus doesn't expect that kind of perfection out of us. If that was the case, I couldn't do it. I'd just be like, I give up. White flag, I can't. But God is kind towards us. 
and he knows that we're weak. It's a beautiful verse in Psalm 103, 13 through 14. It says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He knows who we are. He knows everything about us. And so rather than expecting us to be flawless followers, he speaks into our lives and simply asks us to rely on him. If anything, he asks you to rely less on you because that's when we really mess things up is when we rely on ourselves. And he asks us to willingly just submit to his grace and leadership. He continues to lovingly counsel us even when we turn our backs on him and willingly sin. And what's amazing about all this is that God doesn't hold back on us. It's not like he gives you just a little nugget of wisdom and is like, I hope that's enough for you. See you in a couple weeks. What he does is he gives us every single bit of his wonderful counselor that, of his wonderful counsel that we could ever need. The Bible confirms that, that this is part of the Lord's character. James says this, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. That means he gives it to you freely and he doesn't care who you are. If you're willingly, actually, genuinely wanting to know the wisdom of God, he will give it to you. That's his character. And so just like no good parent would hold out giving a good gift to their child, the Lord isn't going to hold out on his counsel from us. And all of this, it's available as a free gift of Jesus. And when we compare our lives now to how it used to be under the bondage of sin, it's no contest how much better off we are now. Romans 6, 20 through 23 says this, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. You could have done whatever you wanted. And what was the, that result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So why do I bring all this up? Why walk you through all the stuff that you're probably not shocked to hear if you're a Christian? I think it's important because we forget. We forget that these things are true. In particular, we forget because life is hard. In particular, right now, our church is walking through a really painful season. And I don't want to minimize that for any of you or even myself. There's a lot of, been a lot of pain the past couple weeks here at this church. And I'm sure that we still have to walk through and heal through those things. But when life circumstances are challenging, it's tempting to question or to doubt the good leadership of the Lord. And be like, Lord, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you allow it to happen to me? Why would you ask me to lead in a time like this? That's been a question for me, right? Why would you ask me to be a part of this church? Why couldn't I be a part of some church that wasn't hurting so bad? And I want to encourage all of us, and myself included in this, that Jesus, our wonderful counselor, the ultimate shepherd who could never be dethroned by any human sin, knew that we'd be here as a church today. It's beautiful to me when I think of over 30 years ago now, the Lord moved on Pastor Doug's heart to found this church. 
And he knew at that time, the Lord did, that we would be here today as a church. And every other hardship we've gone through as a church, the Lord's known that that was in our future. And still he moved on Doug's heart to plant that church. Why? Because he's the wonderful counselor who knows all things. And through this church, guys, I have grown to be a man of God today because of the ministry of the people here. That's, there's been so much goodness that's come out of this place. And I don't want us to miss that. And it's no accident that I'm here or that any of us are here right now. We're here because the Lord willed us to be here. And if you're just visiting and you're like, I don't even go to this church and I don't know what you're talking about, I think the Lord willed you to be here today. I don't think that, I know that. Because that's who he is. And as much as I can desire to rebel against Jesus' counsel and his wisdom when life is hard, I know in my heart that this is for my good. And that this is for our good. Not that sin is good, but that God uses all painful things for his good and for his glory and our good. And that is our hope as a church. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. I'm sure you know these well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If ever there was a season in our church where each of us individually need to humbly submit to the rule and authority of Jesus, it's right now. Because I genuinely believe that Satan would have us become bitter and angry and frustrated, not just towards people who've sinned, but towards himself, towards God. Jesus, he has the perfect words of life that each of us need to hear. And that's not just corporately from any of the pastors here. Um, that's not just the only place we need to hear the word of God. That's in our personal time with Jesus. We need it. And so I pray for my, myself included, I pray that we would each learn the beauty of surrendering to God's counsel. That we'd surrender to him. And there's freedom in knowing that he has not just some, but all of the words of life. That everything I could ever need to hear, every beautiful word, every encouragement, every rebuke is found on the lips of Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. And so I want to encourage you today that the Lord has been on the throne always. And his throne is not shaken and his church is not shaken by anything. He has guided human history since the beginning. And today, we actually get to celebrate that fact by taking communion. Because even before the Lord created the world, he knew that sin would enter the world. It didn't catch him by surprise. That's why immediately after sin entered the world, he had already thought of a plan to redeem us all. Because God, in his infinite wisdom and understanding, knew that no ordinary human could fix the problem of sin. He knew that we couldn't do it. He knew that Liam was not a strong enough believer to save himself from sin, that none of us were. The Bible tells us that we each have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so God created a plan that was different than any of us could have thought to save us. He sent Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, to earth. He wasn't born in a palace or born as the son of a rich man. He was humbly born next to animals and laid in a manger. And he grew up in that same style of humility. 
As a fully human man, he experienced every bit of hardship and temptation a person could, yet he was perfect. He lived the perfect life that we never could, and he was completely submissive to the Lord's counsel in his life, 100%. And God's rescue plan, it culminated when Jesus died a criminal's death and fully satisfied God's wrath against all sin, my sin and your sin. And his resurrection, it proved that he had conquered sin and death forever. And so as the worship team comes forward, I just want to remind you that Jesus gave us communion as a way to remember his sacrifice for us, to remember what he did for us. 